So I was at the chiropractor, uh, who I want to just plug, Michael Sosa, the most amazing chiropractor if you're here local. Um, and uh, I was, I was uh, of course, you know, laying on my stomach, waiting for them to, to, to come in. And next door, I heard uh, one of the chiropractors talking to a young boy who was, he was uh, you know, adjusting him and such. And so he was just trying to get to know him a little bit. And he asked an interesting question. He said, so who is your superhero? And there wasn't a hesitation. There wasn't a pause. This boy knew who his superhero was was. So without hesitation, in a split second, he said, it's Batman. <laughs> and he said, the chiropractor said, so is mine. I doubt that, but that's beside the point. <laughs> you know, building report. And I started to think about that and think about Batman. You know, people, uh, you know, you, yours might be, you know, Superman or, you know, get out of the DC world and, I don't know, Thor or whatever, you know. But what struck me is we, he picked Batman because Batman's a you know, it's an interesting character, sort of gray, you know, you're not, he does right, not, you know, too sure. But he's a strong leader. That's the thing about Batman. He's a strong leader. But what, what strikes me is he didn't say, Robin. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about that, thinking, I said, I've never, in fact, I've never heard anyone, who's your favorite superhero? Oh, Robin. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking, well, you know, why is that? Well, of course, Robin was younger, and most of the graphic art novels, and uh, he's uh, the apprentice, he's learning, but I, I suppose that some uh, version out there, he grows up to be Batman, but most of the time, you just think of Robin always as young, and always as learning, and not, not Batman yet, not the strong leader that Batman is, which makes me wonder how strong of a leader Batman really was if his apprentice never really grows up and does anything, come on. So it's interesting, because I, th I thought about that, and I said, Craig, what is all that about? You see, leadership is not always what we think. And understanding how to be a leader in the home, in our work, in our neighborhood, with our friends, with our family, how do we be this leader is, is usually more complicated than we think. It's Jesus was a strong leader. We know that. And Jesus would go up to people, and he would say, follow me. Follow me. And so we get that. He did that to Matthew. He did that to all of his disciples. He said, follow me. But there was another occasion where Jesus was, uh, uh, had followers, and some of the religious leaders were going, oh, man, I, I, I don't like who's following you because they're not really worthy. They're, they're very unworthy to be your disciples. And they were upset about who was following, the type of people that were following Jesus, which just gives you a pause for thought because the most unworthy are the ones that are most able to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm convinced of that. And sometimes we think, when I get better, when I get stronger, when I get more spiritual, then I'll do the things that God wants me to do and follow him. And it's just the opposite. When we understand our weaknesses and our need for him, then we begin to understand. So Jesus said, follow. But to those that were questioning, he said, go away and learn. He didn't say, go away forever. He said, you're going to have to learn what it means to follow me. So to some, he said, follow. To some, he said, go away and learn and understand what it means. And then there was just one time where a, young, a man comes and said, please come heal my daughter. And the Bible says, I love the way it phrases, it says that Jesus followed him. And then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, this being a strong leader, this being able to help people and, and really uh, understand what God wants us to do, this being a strong leader is a little bit more complex than we think. 
Because here Jesus, to some he says follow, to some he says go away and learn and understand what I'm, what, who I am and what it means to follow me. And to others he said, I'll follow you. Because sometimes we think just being a strong leader is someone that just said, do it my way, this is the way it is, or like that, everyone follow me. And that's not who Jesus was. Sometimes he followed someone else so that he can help them. He can bring them to a point of understanding who he is. He actually followed them to help a dying world. You see, I believe we're in a, we're in a, a crisis in this world. And this month is Father's Day. We, we celebrate Father's Day next week. And we're in this crisis, I think, of understanding the, the position of a father, the, the leadership of the father, and what does that all mean? How does that, how does that work in our lives? How are we going to live that out? And, and how are we going to really be the uh, people that influence the world around us? This morning, I want to start a two-part series just this week and next week on really understanding what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean for you as wives and spouses to support your husband? What, is, what, is that, what does that mean to help him be the leader that he needs to be? And I'm not saying the women aren't leaders. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's not the case because the, they both parents have to have a heart to lead and have a heart to understand what is going on. So this morning, we're going to start a little two-part series. I just have one thought this morning, and we're going to do the next, next week and end on Father's Day about daddies don't quake or quit. Part one. Daddies don't quake. And I did daddies on purpose, not spiritual fathers, you know, because this is us. This is how we live. This is our everyday life. And sometimes we think, you know, we think of our forefathers and we think of our, the, the church forefathers and all that. And we just imagine them as something more than they were just people who learned to understand what God's trying to do in their life. And that's you. That's your home. That's your family. That's who you're raising with young boys and girls. That's how you're helping them understand. You see, the... We understand to quake means to fear. And it's just a, a way daddies don't fear. Really? What does that mean? Daddies aren't afraid. They're willing to be and live what Christ wants them to do. And I think we have a crisis in our world, and the reason we have a crisis, we blame this and we blame that and we blame these people doing that and all these types of things. But I think it comes down to the, to the, the fathers not being willing to stand up. They're afraid. Maybe I'll fail. Maybe I won't be good enough. Maybe, maybe I can't. And they, they hesitate and they think, oh, I, I don't know if I could do that or be that or say that. And it's time to stand up. How, how can we do that? Why is all this is important? I remember I was holding my firstborn, Jared, when he was just an infant. So young parents, right? I love holding all three of my children, especially when they were young. I remember holding Jared. And I just like, oh, man, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, my heart just sort of stopped. And I thought, what if I can't do this? What if I screw this up? <laughs> what if I do the wrong thing? And hey, hey as a father, sometimes uh, I have. No amens from the booth section, please. <laughs> sometimes it wasn't just like that, but this panic just sort of came over me. And I'm thinking, uh, where's the manual for this? People say there's no manual for parenthood. Yes, there is. It's called the Bible. So it's not what we often think, though. It's not how we often look at it. And I remember holding Jared and just feeling, oh, I don't know if I can do this. 
Maybe that's every father's moment somewhere in your life. But the Holy Spirit just came, and it's not like God said something to me, but I, something that I felt. And this is what I felt. I'm with you. You'll be with him. And all of a sudden, I got this sense that Christ is in me, and Christ will help me. I do not understand. I, it, is, it is beyond my uh, ability to even imagine how fathers that live without God can have any confidence that they're not going to just totally screw up their kids. How, how is it? We have to understand what God can do in our life, and what does it mean to do that? And here's my one thought, just one point. You're thinking, what's going on? Pastor Greg only has one thought. One, 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 one point, because I want you to get it. This is everything. Next week, we'll do the second one, just one. But here it is, real simple. Daddies don't fear their Christ identity. Daddies do not fear. And that's good for every one of us, because we all have an identity. And it, 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 if I had time, I'd focus on what God, the, the identity of the, the women and the mothers and what God wants to do in your life and the incredible role. In fact, well, for Mother's Day, I preached on a godly mother changes everything. <laughs> mothers start to worry and get... Uh, you know, like, ah, I don't, can't, can't do this. Go back and, and listen to that again because you can change everything. But how do we do this? You see, have you ever gone up to or you heard of a little boy, you know, that maybe is, likes Batman, is their superhero? What are they saying? I'm Batman. Isn't that cute? You know, they try to get low. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> That's what they're saying. I'm Batman. They're not saying, hey, I'm Robin. Nobody says that. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody wants to say that, you know, because it's like, that's not the strong leader. That's not what's going to make a difference. Watch this. We walk around and we say, I'm in Christ. Or do we walk around saying, I'm in me. <laughs> Just to make the point. This is, I'll do it my way. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to tell them how to do it, and I'm going to live like that. And, and what we're doing is we are focusing on our identity or what the world has built up. This is the identity of a man. This is the identity of a husband. This is the identity that we're supposed to have. And are we not in a world in a crisis of identity? And it has creeped in. It has moved into the church, to the very heart and souls of who we are. That, that all of a sudden we're finding ourselves thinking, I don't know. We fear. You see, you think, well, where does this fear come from? It's easy, and it's very simple. Fear comes from an insecurity. If you're in a fearful situation, you're thinking, I don't think so. Any situation. I don't think I can make this payment. You're insecure about the finances. I don't think this marriage will work where you're insecure in your relationship. In insecurity feeds the fear. So we have Men that are living in this insecurity, and you think, well, where does this insecurity come from? It comes because you're following the wrong identity. You're living the wrong identity. What does it mean to live in the identity of Christ? Look at this, Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It's, it starts out sort of harsh. Here we go. <laughs> you're dead. It's not your life. It's not you. You have to surrender that to God. You have died. Have you not died? Are you not willing to give to God your life? You're dead. That's, that's how it's got to start there. And if you're in your, in your world and you're doing your own thing, I don't care who you are in this room or how you're watching online, if you're doing your own thing, you're not dead. 
You may be partially dead or mostly dead, <laughs> you know, but you're not fully dead. <laughs> Come on, some of you got that. You're not fully dead. To die means you're, you're, it's not your life. He says, for you're, you're dead and your life is now hidden with Christ. Oh, this is so powerful. Our life has to be hidden in Christ. It has to be buried in him. It has to be where it's, it's our life and we're still there. And we say, Greg, that means I'm perfect. No, no, no. That just means you're surrounded and you're covered and you're engulfed with who Christ is. That is how we live. Is that the way you're living? Is that the way you're trying to raise your family? Men, women, whatever. Is that the way you're trying to do? Say, hey, uh, I'm trying to do it this way or I'm trying to do that or I'm trying to turn there. I'm trying to... Hey, you can't without Christ. Because Christ is the only one, that Christ is the only one that can help us and lead us. So we're buried, we're dead, it's not our life, it's our life in Christ. Now, I love the ending of this. I know it gets us to go back to that verse. I love the ending because it is, it, it puts it all together. When Christ, who is your life? <laughs> just to make, just, just to catch it. He is your life. You're thinking, oh, I can't. Don't give in to that security insecurity. Don't give in to that doubt. You need to be walking around, I'm in Christ. I'm in, I'm in Christ. <laughs> I can do this. I believe this. You know, that, that confession is good. That's where worship is a part is. What are you doing? Confessing God, you're holy. You're worthy. You're great. Okay. That strengthens us and that empowers us. We should be walking around saying, I'm in Christ. I don't feel like it. I don't always act like it, but I'm in Christ. Who is your life when he appears? Literally manifested. When he shows up again, then you will also appear, be manifested in him and in glory. So right now, we are covered and hidden in Christ. One day, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to be manifested. He's, everyone will see him. And that's when we, whether we're alive or, or uh, dead and coming back with Christ, we will be manifested fully, completely. Oh, that's an incredible time. That, I, man, I, I, I just, my heart just begins to store with song and with praise, thinking, God, one day, one day, we'll be, it'll be done. It'll be over. That's, good. that's an incredible moment. Until then, but now, we live in Christ. Ah, we live in his identity. Stop trying to do it your way. Stop trying to be the man or the woman of God that you think, I need to be, I need to do this. You need to do it his way. That means it's his identity in us. It's what God is not doing this because there's always, always that, oh, what if I'm not strong enough? And when that thought is planted by the enemy, by your own weakness, by our doubts, by our fear, then I think the spirit just surrounds us because we're in Christ. It says, no, 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 I am with you. And I will be with those that you touch. Live my life. Live my will. Live my identity. Romans 6, 8. <laughs> it says, now, now, if we die, so he goes back saying the same thing, if we're dead, if we're really living his and not our, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. If we're really dead, if we've really surrendered our life, our will, our desires, thinking, I'll do it my way, then if we've done that, then we're going to live in him. That means we're going to live in his identity. 
If you've died to your identity, you can live in Christ's identity. If you're alive in your identity, uh uh-uh, it's not going to happen. You have to live in his identity. And you say, well, Greg, how how do I live in his identity? How do do I do that? (laughs) The key, here it is. It's very simple. The key is that you, you, you have to die first because you can't do both. The Bible says that if you're double-minded, if you're trying to live two identities, I'll be strong and I'll live for God, I'll do it my way and I'll try to do it his way, well, you're a mess. You're like a, a ship that just wrecked. <laughs> you're, you're like a, a, a boat on the water getting tossed here and tossed there. And if you ever think, oh, Greg, how come I'm all tossed around so much? How come I can't stand up? can't live strong? You are double-minded because you're trying to live two identities. We have to surrender ours and live to his. Because that's what God wants. You can't say, if you came up to a little boy who likes Batman, and he's saying, I'm Batman, I'm Robin, I'm Batman, I'm Robin. You're thinking, you're confused. <laughs> Pick one, come on, something. And, but, and, yet, and, yet, and yet, spiritually, that's what we do. We say, God, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to try to be my best, and I'll be strong for you. Don't be strong for him. Be strong in him. He said, oh, what does that mean, Greg? Surrender your will. Because you need to be saying at the same, if you're same time, you're saying, I'm in Christ. I'm in me. I'm in Christ. I'm in me. I'm in Christ. <laughs> and people live that way. <laughs> and families are falling apart and they're broken and marriages and, and situations are like that. And you think, wow, why is it so messed up? Because you just, you're, both things are coming out. Again, this doesn't mean, oh, doesn't mean I have to be perfect. No, 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 no. It's not perfect, but in a deliberate intention of staying in his identity, trusting him, trusting him and his body. You see, sometimes we like everything to done our way. How many? Come on. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But we all like it our way. But God created this body. Together, where we're one and yet we're separate, so that people can work and learn to trust each other, to depend on each other, to and which all of that feeds into understanding of how we depend on God. Now, watch this. Followers should not make or cannot make followers. You were never designed to make followers. You were never designed to make a follower out of your family. Mm-mm. That's what we try to do. I'm going to church, so you're going to church. Oh, that works. <laughs> that always works, you know. Yeah. Because you might physically drag them when they're young, but when they get older, they're going to out of here, and we see a, a church universally where you get to a certain age, and when they're on their own, they're out of there. What, what is that? It's because you created followers. Can't create followers. What does the Bible say? Make disciples. And we think, oh, that's got to go. Witnessing to someone on the streets. No, 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 no. Try your own family. Try leading your own family. Men, women, husbands, wives, lead your own family. Don't be afraid. And this is where we freak out. <laughs> Man, I don't think I can. You know, you don't understand my situation. Oh, yes, I do. Because God does. And I know it's hard. And I know sometimes it tears your heart apart. And I know it's difficult. I'm just thinking, God, how can this be? What do I do? Be in him. 
make disciples. Now, there's a difference between someone who just follows, because a strong leader can have all the great qualities. If I'm a strong leader, I can have all the great qualities, and people will follow me. But they're following me. But what do we do then? What is it? How do we make disciples of our family, of our work, of our neighborhoods, of, of uh, uh, those that are closest to us? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul said very simply, follow my example. Only as, implied, only as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, if you're following me, you'll be my followers. But if you're following the qualities of Christ in me, if you're following the identity of Christ, if I am Christ, <laughs> hidden in Christ, if I'm in Christ, then you, you are actually making disciples. You're actually helping them to become mini Christ. <laughs> you see how that works? And when they become a mini Christ, they are able to make disciples. And the, the followers only last for one generation. Because when a leader goes, and sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see charismatic people leading great groups, and when the charismatic guy is gone, so is the group. It's like, it's like there's nothing there, you know. It might function and on the, uh, just uh, go through the motions, but they didn't make disciples. And then as believers, starting with our family, starting with our friends, starting with those that are closest to us, starting with all of our love, we have to learn how to make disciples. And the only way that happens is if you're living the identity of Christ, they see Christ in you. To whatever degree do they see Christ? Because they will follow Christ to the end of the world. They will follow Christ to the cross. They will give up anything. Disciple of Christ will go anything and do anything and give up his life. A follower of you, eh, not so much. So we have to say, follow Christ, okay? That means they have to see Christ in me. Oh, there we go. Now we're back to square one. They have to see Christ in me. It's not just about being the strong leader. Sometimes you follow. Sometimes you have followers. Sometimes you teach them what does it mean to follow. And love and kindness. And those that you think are the most unworthy, that the hardest, that they rejected the most, that means you give up on those and go for some others, right? No. No. <laughs> They're the most unworthy and the most perfect to be his disciples. And the ones that God has called you to touch, the friend, the neighbor, the people around you, the ones that you say, oh, they're pushing back that are so hard. <laughs> Paul said, follow me. Follow the Christ qualities in me. Follow those things. As you follow those things, it changes everything. In 1 John he writes, and he says something really interesting in verses 13 and 14, and he said it twice. He said, fathers, fathers, I'm writing to you because you know God. And I, I there's more to say on this, but I just get stuck there. Like, God, do I know you? Do I have your qualities coming inside of me? Again, doesn't mean we're perfect, but are these qualities, is that what they see? Because we'll never lose another generation when they look at us and they say, wow, I want that. I need that quality. I need that kindness, that forgiveness, that, that willingness to humble yourself, that willingness to serve. I serve my family. I am the leader of my family, which means I am the first servant. 
And sometimes we miss that because the world says, no, you tell them what to do. <laughs> Give them the duties. No, no, no. Serve them. Jesus got down on his knees, picked up a towel, and wiped the disciples' dirty, grimy, stinking feet because nobody else would. He was making disciples. <laughs> and that moment so, so fixed in the disciples, they were never the same. And later on, when the power of the Holy Spirit came on them, they learned this is what we do, we serve. We make disciples by serving. This is what God wants. But in 1 John, it says, I write to you fathers. And he says this twice. It's almost like uh, the scribes made an error and they repeated it. It's really interesting. But in verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you know God. And I write to your children. I write to your sons. I write to those that you're influencing because they know the word. And then he said it again in verse 14. Look what he says in verse 14. I says, I write to you fathers because you know God, and that is the result being that I write to you children, I write to you sons, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you. This is the next generation. <laughs> you got to get this. You know, we worry about the next generation, so how do they find God, and how do we, you know, what if we're losing them in our churches, and how do we fill our churches with the young people? I'll tell you how to do it. Fill them with God's word. Fill them with God's word because you know God, mom. You know God. Dad, you know God, parent, friend, neighbor. When they see God in you, they'll go, hey, I want God. I want God. And they will, will never get lost. And it says you're strong and the word of God lives in you and, and you have overcome the evil one. They win. <laughs> Did you see that? They win. They say, where's hope for our generation? Next generation, right there, right there in that verse. They win every single time. They win. Why? Because they have God's word in their heart. Why? Because fathers knew God. Do they see God? Dad, mom, do they see God? Do they see God in you? Neighbor, friend, sister, <laughs> do they see God? Because that'll change everything. They learned how to pick up the sword of the spirit and use it. And overcome the evil one. Overcome Satan himself with the word of God. They did that. How did they do that? Because a father knew God. Because a parent knew God. Because a mom knew God. It changed everything. Charles Dickens uh, wrote, uh, you know, the Christmas Carol. Famous Christmas Carol. And he's the lead character we all know in it is Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. Do you realize where he got the name? Ebenezer Scrooge, Ebenezer is actually in the Bible. It's not a name we name our kids. Because <laughs> Charles Dickens ruined it for everybody. You can never name your kid Ebenezer. It's just going to be like, no. And, and boy, are there crazy names out there now. I, I, it's all good. I know some of your parents will watch it. I mean, they're just like Stormbreaker or whatever. I don't know. It's all good. I love that. I, think, I just think it's sort of cool to be a little bit different. You know? So I was asking my, one of my sons, I said, are, are, you, are you thinking, you know, that, you know those, kind of, those kind of names? I won't tell you what he said. <laughs> but it's interesting. Ebenezer in the Bible means an altar. 
you find it in several places in Samuel. It was a special altar. It was an altar to create a, a thanksgiving, a, a, a memorial of what God has done. See, altars were made where they offered sacrifices and offers were, altars were made that, that gave God thanks. I, I believe the uh, heart for the house offering we just have, that's a memorial that you're creating. Because Ebenezer, you know what it meant? It meant stone of help. <laughs> this is where God helped me. <laughs> I love that. This is where God helped me. That's what it meant, means. So watch this. Dickens named his main character... Ebenezer, stone of help, Scrooge, without, without help. He named his character someone who had the means to help and didn't. You see, ancient altars for pagans were created for one purpose, to feed the gods. They sacrificed so the god would be fed. They sacrificed to uh, uh, appease the God who was going to get them. And, and they, it was, it, the altar was for feeding the God. And, they, and then with Abraham, everything changed. Everything got turned around because God didn't do it that way. The altar was always about blessing and always about helping us and always about what God is giving us. Crazy. He just turned everything around and said, that's the way the pagans do it. I, I don't need anything from you. This altar is to bless you. All the way down, all the way down till Jesus came to the ultimate altar of the cross and gave his life so that on that altar, at that cross, we could have everything. We could have life. We could have his identity. We can know who he is. Isn't that amazing? God gave us everything. Or even as we create an altar of praise, you think, okay, God needs this praise, so we'll be happy. No, no, no. You do. You do. You are. We do. God, pour into me. Help me. Move in my life. And because of that, because of that altar, because of what Jesus has done, Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near to God, to God himself. Let us be more like him. Let us take on his identity. Let us take on who he is. Let us draw near to God with full assurance. Our hearts cleans, our bodies washed. What does that mean? You living hidden in Christ. Come to his altar and be hidden in Christ. Take on his identity. You see, Jesus is the stone of help that is not withheld. <laughs> The world doesn't know that. The world still sees the old way. And say, oh, what does the church want from me? What does the pastor want from me? What does God want from me? And it's always been about what can God do in you? What can God change in you? What can he turn around? You see, our identity is not to give to him but to receive his identity in us and to live like Christ so the world around us goes, I want some of that. I want to be that. When you're praying for your next generation, when you're praying for your friends and your neighbors and those around you, then what you pray for is, God, make me more like you. Step up. Don't be afraid. Because it's scary. What if I fail? 
if I say the wrong things? You know, all those things that we worry about. What, what if they don't, what if they reject me? What if they don't like me? What if they don't smile at me? What if my son or my daughter won't talk to me anymore? <laughs> wow. We're afraid because we're insecure. We're insecure because we're living the wrong identity. Live Christ. That means have strong commitment to Christ. Have strong marriages. When they see your marriage, look and say, hey, that's the way you do it. Right there. That's the way, that's the way you do it. That's what happens. Strong commitments to God. That, that's the way I'm going to live. When they see those qualities in us. You receive the word? Come on. Give God thanks. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that we would step in boldness. God, I, I, I want to challenge everyone to step into that identity. But God, especially the fathers, especially the daddies, everyday men, we're assaulted in this world on every side and a crisis of thought and identity just seems to overwhelm us. But God, we are hidden with you. So God, I ask, take us deeper. Pull me deeper into your presence. Pull us deeper into your identity. Pull us deeper into who you are that we may love and touch and lead a desperate world to find you. Father, I pray for anyone listening or anyone in this room that has not died to their own will and they're living their own way, thinking they can just be religious, or thinking they can just be good enough. God, I pray with all my heart that they would surrender their life right now and say, God, take all of me. Even if they've done it before, they'll do it again. God, take all of me. I give you my life, my heart, my soul. Cover me in Christ until the day that I am manifested with you. So, Lord, forgive us. Lord, cleanse us. Renew a right spirit within us. Change the way we think. Change the way we live. We give you our heart, our mind, and our soul this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. God is so good. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm so excited for what God is doing in you, what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is stirring. I commit that message to God's Spirit into your life which means you won't ever forget it. Because <laughs> it's not my job. It's not my job. God's, God's going God's to do that. God's going to move. 